Thank you for listening to Drinking with Authors. This podcast contains adult themes, adult language, adult subjects, including alcohol, sex, and solipsistic existential nihilism. Now we ask if you are drinking along with us to please drink and listen responsibly. Okay. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I'm one of your hosts, Erica Lance. Yes, you are. And that was Austin Collins, your other host. Yes, I am. Good. So as long as we've got that out of the way. So, Austin, did you did you have a fairly interesting week so far? I, I have. I really have. You know, I think we should, uh, we should begin by talking about the last time the three of us, you and I and our esteemed guest, were together in an authorial capacity. Can we Ooh. lead off with that? We can in an authorial capacity. Mm-hmm. That makes it sound superficial. First, though, because we're drinking with authors, we should probably discuss what we're drinking. So if the audience wants to drink along, they can. So I found an amazing... I mean, they can do what they want. No one is policing this. Okay, well, I think that they should make a drinking game out of every time you're witty and every time I'm not. I think they should just make a drinking game out of life itself. Well, how would you play that? I don't know. Every time you're disappointed by reality, take a shot. I think that's called alcoholism. Yeah. (laughs) You say tomato. (laughs) So I am drinking an interesting cider with a grumpy old man on it called Maylock. And it's a hard cider, and it's blackberry apple was this particular flavor. I also discovered it has a fascinating, I'm sure very artsy top that I couldn't get off the first time I attempted it. Don't you hate it when you can't get your top off? I do, actually. It really slows the evening down. Yes, so do many around me. Luckily, I managed to resolve that for the podcast. So, Yeah, you you overcome adversity. I like to overcome Mm -hmm. adversity. So, um, Austin, you're drinking a Honey Jack mm-hmm. um, whiskey and um, an apple cider. How is that? It's, a, it's surprisingly good in a really weird way. You know, you, uh, you offered to make this for me when I showed up, and I said, uh, sure, because I'm just kind of a pushover. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's cidery and Honey Jacky, and um, they have a pleasant buzz going on that I think I can maintain because it's all about pacing. This is a marathon, not a sprint, so okay. this has the nice, you know, level of intensity that you can sustain for a while. Okay. I like being sustained for a while. Don't we and, all? And, and then Valerie, do you want to share with us? So Valerie comes to us today um, on the premise that she lost her voice and I'm forcing her to do this anyway. So she's super excited. Do you want to talk about what you're drinking, Val? I'm drinking a hot toddy. <laughs> because... <laughs> This is going to be great. <laughs> you guys are terrible. Um, because it has, what, lemon, honey, whiskey, and hot water. So it's basically a tea tonic of liquor for a sore throat. Uh, a tea tonic? Is that like German? <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely for a sore throat. I'm making quotation yeah. marks right now. <laughs> okay. I love this. It's like... We likes it. <laughs> we writes the books. <laughs> okay. I'm a novelist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you were talking about... Not, not to be disrespectful to your suffering, Val. It's okay. My employees have been making fun of me all week. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the last time we were all three together in an authorial... Capacity. Yes, we were on a panel, weren't we? Yes. Um, Austin, what panel were we on? We were at FETCON in St. Petersburg, 
And I think this is a wonderful example of a very wordier than thou event in that no one had actually remembered to put us on the schedule. Yes, which yes. Is, this is like classic wordier than thou. <laughs> yes. And yet people showed up. And we had, a, we had a great little crowd of people who were extremely interested and engaged. And it was uh, Valerie and you and myself. And we were talking about the writing process. And we were talking very specifically about writing sex. Right? And, uh, you know, Val has some opinions about writing sex. So maybe we should lead off with some of the points that you made when we were speaking to our FetCon crowd. And, you know, by the way, you know how you're supposed to pretend that the audience is naked? Yes. Yeah, There's so no when they're work. actually scantily clad for real, that makes it so much easier to do that, no. right? <laughs> that was, uh, someone asked me how it went. And I'm like, you know that saying? Just pretend the audience is naked. That doesn't work. <laughs> and I said it every time. I would catch a glimpse of something I shouldn't be seeing. I'd look down and see more and then to look up because there was nowhere else to look. There was so just bits everywhere. <laughs> that bit, bits and bobs. Um, FetCon, for those that are listening that have lived in a shoebox somewhere in their mother's closet, is FetishCon. So, um, Val... What was your favorite part of FetishCon? Because we know you're very experienced at speaking at these kind of conferences. No, I'm not. <laughs> it was my first time. Um, but I have to say, out of all the panels I've been on this year, they had the best questions and interaction. Which and, and that was because love. of us, right? Because well, we're great. It, that's where you're going with this, right? Yes. That's not where she was going, Austin. <laughs> no, it's because Try to keep audience. your ego in your pants for three seconds. <laughs> But um, being able to talk to them about a topic that you would think they would be well-versed in and comfortable on, but when it came to writing it, they weren't. So it was a, a little bit of a discovery about the audience and what they, their limitations, and then to be able to reflect, well, this is what I keep in mind when I write for you, and then agree or have feedback. It was it was pretty cool in that aspect. Well, good. I felt we all got something out of it. I got, you know, some numbers, but everybody <laughs> else got something more substantial out of that encounter. <laughs> so, Valerie, let's... Uh, I have your um, books here, your um, series. So this is Cedric the Demon Knight, and it's adult dark fantasy and paral paranormal romance series. It actually is a reader's favorite book award winner. Tell us a little bit about Cedric. So Cedric is essentially part vampire and part incubus. And he's the anti-hero. He, he could care less that the world is in peril. He knows what he wants and that's all he focuses on. And it just so happens the line with all the rescue efforts sometimes. Um, the best part about them is that it's more about that despite being a monster, immortal, powerful, he's flawed. He trips over himself more than anything else in that book. And he has to realize that he still has to depend on people even if they're weaker than who he is. Because there's things they have that he can't comprehend. Um, and if anyone's wondering, no, my throat does not hurt. It just sounds <laughs> terrible. 
I think so the entire audience was wondering that. I'm glad we checked that off the list. Okay, so let's let's list off these book titles in order, just for the the benefit of anyone who might want to pick these up. Book number one is Cedric the Demonic Knight, and book number two is Roma Santa, Father of Werewolves, and the book number three in the Cedric series is The Oracle. And once again, this is by Valerie Willis, and you can search that online. And President's Book Awards winner. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the Oracle. So the funny thing is, I entered book one in one book award, and book three in another one, and forgot to enter book two <laughs> in anything. <laughs> and ironically, all the readers say book two is the best, so I'll have to circle back. But the first one, Cedric, won bronze in fiction mythology, because there's a lot of mythology and history tied into the whole series. And then silver for the Oracle was for sci-fi fantasy, um, and it had to score a certain amount of points to even get that. So there was no bronze winner. There was two silver winners and a gold. So I tied second place. Did you kill the other person so that you could take their yeah, there title? There can be only one. Yes. May the odds be ever in your favor. I, I debated it for a bit. <laughs> I was the only one with purple hair there, so well, they would know it was me. Road. It's very noble of you. I'm not. I, I think you <laughs> definitely should have taken the low road. So if someone asked you for a, a summary of the of the entire series, like a quick overview. Someone wants to decide whether or not they want to get into this series. Can you give us like the highest possible level? So it focuses on a power couple, Cedric, who's the immortal anti-hero, and the girl he falls in love with, um, deeply in love with, despite his best efforts to not do so. And it's basically them two becoming the only ones capable to take down uh, Cronus, the Titan, and Mother Gaia, who's been corrupting the world for centuries and slowly trying to get rid of other magical beings so they can rule over humans. And he has no interest in that. But at the same point, he doesn't want to have to deal with them, so he'd rather take them out. Wow. That's very, that's very deep and worldly. <laughs> There's lots of swords, though, so it's cool. So, um, you are uh, also, um, you, like, publish books. So you recently published a collection of short stories called The Demonic Carnival, correct? That's right. Valerie's eating apples with a sore throat while drinking her hot toddy. <laughs> By the way, just for the audience, in case you're wondering if she just thinks you're, she's above you, she does, but she's also eating apples. I love fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Note to self, how to tempt Val into the dark side, provide her with fruit. Wait, exactly. wait. Isn't Maybe that this biblical? is going to be super popular. Maybe people are going to be like, I really love it when your guests have that raspy thing going on. Can you do that more often? And we're going to have to get people to like, you know, wear their vocal cords out the night before so they can Well, I thought we this. could just throat punch them when they arrive <laughs> and go from there. Yes. Well, do welcome it. to the podcast, throat punch. <laughs> yeah, I love the anger vibe. <laughs> 
Well, I think it's that. a very Kathleen Turner-y, like Jessica Rabbit thing she's yeah, got like going Kathleen on. Yeah, Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, oh, how you doing? <laughs> Keep pushing those keys. You're sexy when you take them. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> I don't think it's like that at all. <laughs> okay. Oh, we had a serious so, question about the demonic carnival before you put oh, that yeah. apple back in your mouth. Go yes. ahead. Um, so... A couple of years ago, for an open mic, I wrote a story called Antichrist is a Manatee. <laughs> Antichrist is a Manatee. Once again, I just want to reemphasize that. And it is online. It. You can read it for free on Inkit. <laughs> but basically, it's a Manatee. I got SeaWorld Tank and a five-year-old who's just excited because the Manatee talks. And he can't get his message across. Um, so I tried to place it in some literary magazines and collections, and they said it was either too funny or too creepy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a weird <laughs> spectrum. That's, so that pretty much actually sums up my entire being, <coughs> too funny or too creepy. Or sometimes both. Yeah. So I how, you, both do, how you doing? <laughs> so I decided to start hosting an annual anthology that's dark humor. So, obviously, the first one was Demonic Wildlife. So, I had a place for the manatee. The following one was Demonic Household. We're talking about K-Rags, toasters, electrical cords, um, the oven, which was gross. <laughs> but they're like these weird humorous things. Like with the K Killer K-Cups. <laughs> there was something demonic about the pumpkin spice. I think there is something demonic about pumpkin spice. We can get into that entire conversation. But the K-Cups makes me think of, like, you know, Korean pop music about murder. I wonder, that would be a great name for a band, Killer K-Cups. It would be like the scream metal band of Korean pop. That's courtesy of a Tampa author by the name of Vanessa Valiente. But this year was Demonic Carnival. Um... So we got the tilt twirl, the love tunnel. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you mean tunnel of love, right? Tunnel of love. I always flip it. I, I think love tunnel is actually something I, different, I, Valerie. I was gonna say we could we could talk about your love tunnel if you want to. That's a whole other podcast, but we could blame Donnie for that. <laughs> for your love tunnel, did your love tunnel become more accessible? But depending on how much hot Donnie you have, yeah, keep drinking. It's a very serious no. podcast. This folks. is very serious. You absolutely should not He's find any. We are talking about literature for those of you who just joined uh -huh. us. But no, Demonic Carnival has actually been well received um, because now it's picking up steam. I actually had to turn away authors for the first time this year, and right now they're voting on the next theme. And so far, Demonic Classics. So basically, they're going to take like a scene from Pride and Prejudice or Secret Garden, any of these public domain pieces, and make a dark humor piece out of it. So it's going to be interesting to see what I get out of everyone. But um, I'll probably revisit Demonic Wildlife for uh, the fifth year anniversary. See, see how our manatee friend is doing these days? Yeah. TV's <laughs> still there. Catch up with the manatee at SeaWorld. Yes, I mean, it's interesting, right, as a publisher and as a writer. 
you're like looking at the whole equation from two different angles. So how is that? Does that cause some cognitive dissonance for you? I mean, is it interesting to experience that from the opposite it, sides? It's like giving back to the community a little bit. Because mm -hmm. I have a mixture of established authors and then first-time authors. And when I notice it's a first-time author, I take a little more time and I give them feedback whether I accept it or not. Um, this year was really neat because a lot of them came back and the writing had improved drastically. I could see where they took advice that I gave them last year and took it to the next level. So being able to help other writers grow, even if they don't get in the anthology, sort of is my way of giving back to the community a lot. So... No, that's very awesome. I think as as writers, um, we almost have to form sort of an un, unspoken bond with each other to help each other out. I was very fortunate enough, Austin, you may not know this, to be in Demonic Carnival. I have a story in there. It isn't Bobby. <laughs> that's, that's not my Bobby. <laughs> that Bobby's been... mean to me. He's been too nice. <laughs> that's actually the story. It's uh, it's about the alien invasion ride. Ooh. Yeah, no, it's it was a lot of fun. But it's a lot of fun to participate in that. And so that's very awesome. So Val, what got you started? Um, we're, I'm going to have to time these when you're not sticking grapes in your love tunnel. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's, hang on, can we just back up and yeah. clarify? <laughs> Do we really want actually, to clarify? She's not actually sticking grapes in her love tunnel, in the literal sense. But in the literary sense, <laughs> I think there might be some grapes in that love tunnel. <laughs> Stop. I mean, not that I'm aware of. Okay. My husband listens to this. <laughs> he might agree with you. Uh, he knows you, right? Yeah, he does. He's he, met you, so. <laughs> We've been together since 2005. Aww. So that's, yeah. four, that's 14 years. I'm sure he knows well enough about your grapes and your love tunnels. So, um, <laughs> what got, she's bright red, just in case anyone <laughs> wants to know the, the visual on this. She is, she's actually blushing more than she did at FetCon, which is kind of impressive considering yeah, she's all that. Yeah, her sunburn and like... FetCon, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have anything where you can look away? <laughs> Because we're talking about you. Yeah. So let's talk about when you first decided you wanted to be a writer. So I actually wanted to be a writer in elementary school. I have a composition book filled front to back in fifth grade of a novel I wrote. But Do you remember what it was about? Yes. A little girl. Uh, her plane crashes in Africa. And she's trying to find her way to her grandma's. She has a pet cheetah. It's like every 90s movie. <laughs> Combined into one? Yes. Hey, that's better than every E.L. James novel, so that's cool. True. Be nice. I was. <laughs> so, that was me being nice. But, um, and even in high school, um, I have a dark fantasy YA series trilogy that I wrote in high school initially. Um, and I revamped it completely. It took me 12 years to get that first book right. That's a lot of high school. Yeah. Why do you think? High school, wow. Yeah. But I didn't take it serious until we both got laid off during the bubble burst. And then 
the mortgage company didn't want to work with us. I was trying to foreclose. And then I found out I was pregnant. That happened just before we got laid off. When did this turn into a Bernie Sanders campaign? I it know. is. Like, <laughs> wow. And then I ended up with cancer on my leg. Oh my God. Val, <laughs> did you write this? This is like a true lifetime movie I, I here. Me too. But I sat there crying, and I'm like, maybe I should finish that book from high school. <laughs> I love that. That's where your brain went. No, that's that's kind of beautiful, right? It's like what's that's what we revert to in these moments of crisis. Is I just want to go back to being my true creative self. So, right? Yeah. So that's yeah, that's kind of. And that's inspiring. where I ended up. I think that's that's actually, you know, in poetic. And it's really interesting that that's um, where you went to in your moment of the most adversity. Because I think a lot of times, sort of, I, I'm going to refer to it as our craft, writing and stuff. You can go into dark places and have a hard time coming out and actually being able to write. And being able to create something. Because... It's, it's easy to get mired in whatever the difficulty you've had. And it sounds like you had like 12 difficulties and still came out of it yeah. writing an amazing series, even though it took some time to, to, to get it out. Yeah, because I, I pretty much picked up the book, Rebirth, finished it. And then I'm like, now I'm going to go online and look at what it would take to write professionally. <laughs> and I'm like, I did this all wrong. <laughs> I'm like... I'm going to have to start over. <laughs> and then I wrote Cedric using that advice. And it won book awards and everything. And then I circled back. And I cried because I realized I had to rewrite it from stretch. <laughs> because there was no way to edit the crap I had written originally. Now, it didn't mean the plot or the story idea or the characters were wrong. It was just my writing style wasn't where it needed to be to tell the story appropriately for a reader on a professional level. If it was a fanfic, a fan fiction, it would have been fine. Um, and that's one of those things I think we all have to face when we decide to write seriously is when we start to learn, we can't get down from that advice. We have to take it up as a challenge. And, okay, I did this, this, and this wrong. Let me see what my writing looks like when I apply that. And you're always, always going to find your way happier with the end result. Right. And that's, I mean, that's kind of a universal writer experience, right? And mm -hmm. that you are constantly improving your craft. You're learning new things about how to do what you do. And you are constantly looking back in horror and disgust at the stuff that you wrote last year and the year before that, right? And, you know, what's really kind of, you know, the, the tragedy of you know, writing multiple works is that, you know, you can't wait until you reach that, you know, ivory tower level of transcendent writer enlightenment. You know, you could spend a hundred years, you could spend 200 years trying to reach that apex before you start writing. The life isn't long enough, right? So instead you write and you publish and you get stuff out there, right? But then inevitably you look back at the stuff that you wrote two years ago, three years ago, right? You're like, oh my God, I would have done that differently. Yeah, <laughs> and um, one of my favorite discussions um, that can be found on Anne Rice's Facebook videos is someone asks her, um, do you ever look back at like interview with a vampire? 
I say, man, I could have done better. And she goes, absolutely. But then I remember where was I as a writer at that point. Because right. it's my best work for what I knew mm -hmm. then. Yes, it was my best work for what I knew at that time. She's like, you can't punish yourself for what you didn't know or experience yet. Of course, your writing's going to improve. If your writing's not improving, you should be more alarmed by that than looking back and being like, I could have done better. No, I agree. I also think that one of the biggest traps for writers is getting too stuck on trying to perfect whatever you're writing. I watch a lot of writers get kind of spun in on the epic re-edit process mm -hmm. because I think every time you relook at a piece of work, you can find something. Even, like, I'll pick up something I've written in the past that to read, like, some part of it for a convention or something, you know, and um, I'll go to read, and I'm reading it out loud thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, what, what was I thinking? You know, but you can, um, it's, it's kind of the theory that you won't move forward if you're trapped in never letting go of that piece of work and right, letting right. it be out there. At some point, you've got to say, you know, I had a, I had a writing coach back in the Cretaceous period who uh, said. The Cretaceous yeah, period, we're going says, all the way back. It's way back. The way to know when you need to stop editing and revising and rewriting and just go ahead and put it out there is when you start making and then reversing the same change over and over again. So, like, if you turn a comma into a period and then you turn it back into a comma and then back into a period, once you reach that stage, that is when you, you are ready. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with Drinking With Authors. During this break from our regularly scheduled podcast, I want to thank a couple people. First of all, I want to thank Adam Haney, our producer, who makes our drunken asses sound good every single week. Well, as good as you can make them sound. And I also want to thank Wordier Than Thou. It's a not-for-profit group that both me and Austin Scott Collins are a part of in the Tampa Bay area of Florida and beyond. You can find them on Twitter at Wordier Than Thou, and you can look up their website for www.wordierthanthou.com. It's also in the episode notes to find all of the latest happenings. If you're an author, reach out to them. They will help. All right, so we're back. We, yeah, we should begin by uh, summarizing some of the things we talked about during the break. Well, we did talk about the uh, Star Wars canon no longer being a valid point. Yeah, we talked about uh, furries. We talked about fetishes. And uh, whether but, uh, somebody would trace a fetish back to it, a female origination. Mm -hmm. This is for another podcast. But yeah, I this think is, this is its own topic. Yeah. yeah, probing. And that the fact that they don't ever say the word Ewok in Return of the Jedi... Yeah, yeah. That's right. I, I want to uh, revisit uh, Val's comment that uh oh, <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> that uh, you sort of identify as a bit of a prude. Yeah. So you're a prude who writes smut. Yeah. <laughs> so how does that work? Walk us through um, this. My face turns red when I'm writing naughty bits. <laughs> in high school, I would start reading naughty bits in the books that I'm reading, and I had a friend Jennifer Bonner. That would suddenly scoot her desk closer <laughs> so she could read over my shoulder because she knew from the color from the color of my face. 
Um, so I just want to point out that you listed your friend's full name on this podcast. It is very public. So if yeah, anyone does know... In post-production. No. Right? If anyone <laughs> does know uh, Jennifer Bonner, she apparently <laughs> is heavily into smut. <laughs> Continue on, Val. She holds totally confess. <laughs> All of you, Jen. And eavesdropping, also. Yeah. Smut and eavesdropping. Yes. Which you should be studying, by the way. Yeah. in school. School's important. Jennifer. Jennifer. Setting a bad example. She's probably like a senator now or something. Probably something important. What does Jennifer do for a living? Um, she manages greenhouses. For bromeliads. Bromeliads? That's a very, very specific job. Yeah. She travels all over the world. There's probably like one person in the whole world that manages greenhouses for bromeliads. That's what you think. <laughs> There's a big industry. A bromeliad industry? Yeah. A bromeliad are we using, industry. Are we using bromeliad to mean something else? Because <laughs> I feel like I'm missing something Yeah, air here. quotes, bromeliad. Bromeliad. <laughs> As in, you know, I like, I'd like to go to Colorado and, and get some legal bromeliads. She also collects succulents. <laughs> she collects succulents? Yes. Don't we she all? have a load of cats, too? Is she one of those ladies? <laughs> no, she has a red wolf. Breed. I have breed us. <laughs> okay. We know a lot about Jennifer now. Sorry if you start getting stalked cyberly from this podcast. You can blame Val. So, Val, let's get back into your writing a little bit. So, obviously, in this three-part series, there's some sex scenes, right? So, um, you were kind of sharing, but what is the most awkward thing that's happened when you've been writing a sex scene? I've knocked the monitor off my desk. (laughs) (laughs) So, you were hiding writing from the husband, so you knocked the monitor off the desk. Yeah. Because he comes in and... And I try to hide it with my hands. <laughs> because I'm 12. <laughs> Which is kind of amazing because um, it does get kind of steamy. So it's not even just... No. It's not just like delicate like... No. They kiss no. and then the window opens the next morning and you can tell they had sex because yeah. the... And, and the curtains blow, blow right? And, yeah. yeah. The, the heron I rises also, from the lake. <laughs> I also do ghost writing. And I, um, I told her, I said, I don't normally write sex scenes this heavily, so forgive me if they're really bad. She came back with, damn, your husband must have some good moves. <laughs> does your, this is Drinking with Authors as a reminder, <laughs> by the way, we've gotten Val sufficiently loaded, because by the way, those hot toddies had about four shots in the meat, mm-hmm. so. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to find out this way. No, yeah. I think this is no, this is really interesting, right? Because what is it? There's a difference between being uh, perhaps a little bit repressed, perhaps a little bit sedate in your personal life, but right. being perhaps a bit more sexually extreme in your writing. And do you think that those two things are connected? Oh, that's a good, good question. <laughs> um, I think. Part of it is my mom and them used to make fun of me. Anytime I tried to dress pretty, I was picked on a lot. Um, so part of me feels that it's a safe space to explore in writing, mm-hmm. where normally I don't feel safe doing it as myself. Um, so I think there's a lot tied into that. Um, I'm also starting to learn that as a writer, you have sort of responsibilities to your readers. So, for instance, my first draft 
<clears throat> first draft of Cedric had no sex at all. Not even a kiss. And I'm like, there are going to be riots in the streets? <laughs> this is a Incubus Vampire Cross? How can I leave that out? Um, so there's sort of this, this thing you have to overcome as a writer. Because whatever genre and audience you choose, you have to see what the normal is for them. Because they're going to expect that in your story too. So Paranormal Romance and Shift Romance is very steamy. It's on the higher end. Um, recently, for work, I, I gave them color codes. Like, <laughs> okay, green light would be your Christian clean romance. You might get a kiss, but they close the door and leave your butt in the hallway. That's as far as you go. You start venturing in the yellow and orange, you get to walk into the bedroom, you might see them touchy-feely, but the lights go out, they kick you out again. But you start getting steamy, which is your red, orange, orange, uh, and red. And you're going to get details, but not to the level that purple erotica I was going to say, after you. red should be infrared, right? Yeah, like infrared, violet, <laughs> purple. I call it purple because it's a whole new ballgame. We're not on the same color scale anymore. It's mixing a lot of stuff. Um... So red is going to be pretty steamy and pretty descriptive, but sex is still not a main part of the plot. It's just something that helps push plot, where erotica is about that sexual experience, about the focus is getting that sweet sex moment finally out of a, a adventurous abouts of attempts, perhaps. Um, is how I see it. So, um, so I had to come to terms that even though that was more of a, a yellow light, <laughs> uh, I have to write at red light speeds for the reader's sake because that's their expectations. So, that's... Is that a good enough answer? That no, was, I, and I like that yeah. you referred to yourself in the third person because that makes me excited. I, I get to I get to share a moment that I had with Val. So when we were at FetishCon, we decided to walk through the um, uh, you know the reseller space. So you know there's a bunch of booths selling different like whips and dildos and all sorts of stuff. Alien things. Alien. There's an alien dildo. It's too much for Val. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Nipple clamps, and um, we walk past. Tentacle uh, clamps. Yes, yeah. tentacle clamps. But we walk past a booth, and she goes, "Oh, I had a necklace like that." <laughs> and I looked at her, and I'm like, "What?" And she says, "I had a necklace like that. I used to wear it all through high school and stuff, right?" Not realizing what it was. So it was. It was a. It was a collar, like full on. For dominating, like a slave collar. Like yeah. a slave collar. No, it was with the big <laughs> ring on the front and two everything. Rings two yeah. rings on the side. And so it's very funny because when Val got home, she was sitting there looking at it. Like somehow in this one brief 20 seconds, I had ripped away some innocence of her childhood because she just thought it was cool and gothy, but she wore it all the time. And I was like, did you? Did you have them that? Were you a sub? Like, what was happening? So no. throughout high school, you were just waiting for someone to come up to you with, like, a dog collar with, like, one of those clips. You go, there you go. <laughs> I, you I was also raising cattle on campus. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
that's a line you don't hear very often on this podcast, by the way. So we were raising cattle on campus. We'll we're going to take we're gonna your time. Do the take your time. It's okay. We can cut this part out. <laughs> so I was raising cattle on the campus, wearing that, walking the cows. <laughs> <laughs> This is that's such an image right there. Uh, this goth girl, she sent me a picture, beautiful, and she has this whole goth outfit. And now I'm just imagining like this goth goddess with this collar walking a cow out in the pasture, and that's 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 pretty amazing actually to think about that. In the high school, you what? In the back lot of the high school. <laughs> you might want to take a break on those grapes there, my friend, for a moment. Are you eating like the spicy grapes? What's going on? Are these the, like the jalapeno I, I grapes? I think she's nervous eating. I'm pulling the fruit away. I'm pulling the fruit away. Actually, I actually have a story related to this. Oh. Because I, I went to PetSmart once to buy a collar for non-pet related purposes. Oh, now a we're going to do PG-13. Okay, yeah, go a, ahead. A few years back, and I went and found this great collar and picked it up. I was like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. And, you know, I love it. And I went up to the counter, and I'm checking out. And the lady behind the counter says, what kind of dog do you have? And I was totally unprepared for the question. I don't actually have a dog. <laughs> and I did not have an answer ready. And I just sort of stammered. Uh, 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 I wasn't you know, ready. Sarah? To... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's and a she, cute and name she, for a dog. She looked at me and she knew. And I thought, you know, how often does this happen? <laughs> did you ask her? No. No, I just like, you know paid and got out as fast as Ran. I could. Like, yeah, Grab the bag, <laughs> screw the change, I'm out the door. See, I, and it's weird because in a moment like that, I get spit out the weirdest stuff and not blink. I'd be like, oh, Chris Spaniel? <laughs> it's, the collar's like a 12-inch yeah, collar know, right? for a Cocker Spaniel. That actually makes it worse. They yeah, just I, I, should have, you. I should have said something random, but it wouldn't have made any sense. So like, oh, it's not a dog, it's a hamster. It's like, what? <laughs> His name is Ferdinand. Give yeah, me the collar. It's, it's three cats in a trench coat. Ah. <laughs> well, yes. Writing. Yeah, so you ready to talk again? Uh, are you ready yeah, to talk I again? Yeah, the, the grapes. I get nervous. Eat. So good. <laughs> okay, good. Just only because if you choke and die on the podcast, since this is you're a second guest, I just don't think we'll get many more guests <laughs> after that. So let's talk a little bit about what um, are the things in um, that you feel are your biggest detractors while writing. So when I do my first draft, <clears throat> each novel I develop a new bad habit, <laughs> and it's redundancy out the balls. Um, out the balls. Out the balls. Redundancy out the balls. Like there will be. 25 instances of this guy sighing in one chapter and I'm like he sighed enough I think he's out of air <laughs> I have to go to the back and, and clean it out um, in judgment I think the bad habit was as if I couldn't just say a thing I had to keep adding as if at the end of every sentence and it drove me crazy in revisions because it took forever to find them all <laughs> so like each novel I like develop something a crutch on really bad. So you have like a control F. Yeah. <laughs> control F as is. As if. Um, I actually have that. I have a word that I have to be very careful of using mm -hmm. all the time, which is realized. 
everybody hmm. will realize things frequently. And so I have to, I'm always looking for it. Like the moment I start typing it now, I'm very hyper aware. I'm like, how many times have somebody realized something in this book? Everybody realizes a lot of stuff. It's like a very profound experience being a character in one of my stories because you have all these realizations. And because I know I do it and I flip it and change, so when I edit or read someone else's work, I pick up on it fast. I'm like, hey, we got a crutch for the word so. So is one I see a lot. So then this, so that. Um, another one that Sarissa Hernandez, who's an, a senior agent, of course, Farrell, she says she sees and then pick one. <laughs> it's either then something happened or and something happened, not and then. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> let me go check my notes. You're like going back to my last book and then. What about you, Austin? Do you have anything that you find yourself? Well, I'm just, I'm really intrigued by this comment that she develops a new, like, writing bad habit with every novel. That's a, that's interesting. It's not like the same thing. It's like you, you've moved on to a new phase in your writing career. Now you have a new bad habit. Right. <laughs> and I think it's because I hyper-focus on prior mistakes, mm. which then makes another mistake surface or create. Oh, we're getting the signal from our amazing producer that we need to wrap up this portion of our podcast. So, um, Val, where can people find you? Uh, Amazon.com, WillisAuthor.com. And that's W-I-L-L-I-S-A-U-T-H-O-R.com. And between those two, you find me everywhere else. Okay, and you can find uh, Drinking With Authors on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at drinking with authors our producer kept that simple to make sure that we could move forward with that but val we want to thank you very much for joining us Sorry, my voice is all over the place no this is going to be like a fan favorite i can tell already <laughs> it's going to be like a, it's a cult classic. thing yeah yeah when you're asked back people are going to be like make sure she's had bronchitis <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you very much again drinking with authors i'm your host erica lance and i'm austin scott collins we'll see you next time